0: Hello and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 54. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be talking about the 10th episode of season three, Relativity. Let's get started. Here's a quick summary of Relativity. As Talon rests at the bottom of a dense forest, Aaron and John enjoy being in a new relationship. However, before Talon is fully healed, Aaron's mother, Zalek Soon, and a crew of mercenaries touches down on the planet. The Talon crew has to fight for Talon's life against her, the jungle, and eventually each other.
1: So often in genre fiction, we get stories about daddy issues, and Farscape has certainly has its share of it with John and his father. But for Erin, what I love is it's all about her and her mother. And this episode really explores the meaning of her relationship with this woman that she thought she dreamed during a childhood visit. That's that scene we keep seeing over and over again on the chip that we've seen in several episodes previously. And it's also about how Zalex, Aaron's mother, has been forever twisted by the consequences of that visit.
0: Yeah, I really enjoy how Farscape inverts it because it would be so easy for a show about a character raised in a military environment and raised to be a warrior to then have the contrast being with her father. Like we see that so often. And so here it's really interesting because they play with a lot of the same elements of like inheritance and your dreams for your children and the expectations put upon parents and children they play with all of these elements but because it's like a mother daughter and because both of them are warriors it really just switches it into a new configuration that is very refreshing
1: Mm -hmm. and i love that zalak sun we've seen her already once in thanks for sharing which was two episodes ago where she was the force behind the interplanetary politics mess that they got involved in But I love that they show her as being this really, you know, rugged, strong, very principled, very, you know, on the mark soldier. Like, she is very clearly a a soldier, and she's going to do her duty no matter what. And that's not something you often see with female characters, let alone female military characters oftentimes they're the ones who are softened or Mm -hmm. in contrast to a male counterpart of some sort. But here there is no male counterpart. There is Alex. She's in command. She's got mercenaries working for her and she's pretty merciless with them as well you
0: know yeah yeah that's actually really great cuz i'm thinking about um sg1 for example where you have carter who's supposed to be the scientist even though she's also you know she's also pretty high ranked in the military but the contrast is kind of between her and a jack and then you also have andromeda where you had the female captain I'm blanking on her name, but, you know, she was the captain of her own ship and her own crew. She was always placed against Kevin Sorbo's character in a way that was like, nah, I didn't mm-hmm. super care for that contrast. And so here, it's nice that they get to play with kind of the issues that you bring up with daddy issues and the same issues that a lot of times are with with any sort of mother, mother issue stories, because mm-hmm. you have kind of that... That issue that usually, again, usually comes up with like fathers and daughters where the father is like demanding strength from his daughter. And so that's really interesting the way they play with that. And at the, the same time, they also have this like maternal, how much do you care for your child? How far will you go for your child? Mm-hmm.
1: I guess the, the closest thing I would say to this relationship that you see in other shows is in Battlestar Galactica, the 2003 version with Starbuck and her mother. Ooh, Yeah. That's, you know, a military woman with a military child holding her to strict military standards. So that's kind of the closest I could see. And that's in my recent memory that you brought up. But what I like about it with Aaron and Daleks is like, you know, the gender part doesn't play much of a role in it. You know, it's like, are you a good soldier or are you a bad soldier? That's mm-hmm. the line that it's about. And not to say that's not in Battlestar Galactica. My memory of that's a little fuzzy, but that same kind of, that, Dynamic is that in the peacekeeper military, men and women are equal, you know they have equal weight put on them, they have an equal chance to raise rise to their ranks and mm-hmm. be good soldiers and that's really what it turns on
0: yeah that's interesting. you should bring up Starbuck because I think that Starbuck is like a really good comparison to Aaron in a lot of ways in terms of a character that's really driven in the military, and you know for I think for each of them they had goals. The, you know military goals what I think is interesting is how each of the shows changed their characters over the seasons and I think that here in this episode it's really interesting because we get to see a very crystallized version of who Aaron is becoming you know what I mean like this is this is a very clear contrast to, episode one. You know, her mother and Grace both are continually calling out her peacekeeper training. And I think what we as listeners are coming to is the realization that she's moving beyond her peacekeeper training in ways that I think are unexpected to her and Grace.
1: Mm -hmm. Erin is the compassionate one in this scenario between her and her mother and we'll Mm -hmm. get more into that as we get to some of the scenes that we've picked out to talk about today but because she has lived on Moya because she has learned about compassion and understood its value like she's trying to extend that
0: to, to Zalix the episode actually opens on this panning shot coming into a planet and you're coming in to this forest and my issues with this episode are not the story beats and not the dialogue. My issues are the cinematography and the direction of this episode. Because (laughs) this CGI is long, number one. It's like 30 seconds. It's like a lot of CGI. And Farscape is known for its puppetry. And we've talked often about how that really makes the show hold up after 20 years. It's CGI, on the other hand, not so much. Didn't care (laughs) for it.
1: Anyway, it didn't really it didn't really bother me. But yeah, so it comes down down. And I think the fandom term that we gave the planet was the fire swamp from Princess Bride. (laughs) Because later on, you'll see like there's a geyser and there's like acid. So if I refer to it as as the fire swamp, that that's why. So Talon is resting on this planet. He is still recovering from the damage he suffered from Zalex's initial, the Peacekeeper's initial attack on him, which is why they were at that planet, and thanks for sharing. And he was getting nutrients from Moya, and then also the recent encounter with the Budong I'm sure didn't help matters. Krace is kind of staring off, communing with Talon in the command, and then we actually get to see the consequences of our last time we were with John and Aaron which was green-eyed monster when they confessed their undying love for each other with twinkling stars it was great and we have a cliff that opens up on stark and Rigel's actual reaction to this situation so i'm going to play that and that's where we can jump in
2: come on 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 Rigel. I may be small, but allow me to remind you, that only serves to put me at castration level. What's the matter didn't sleep well? How could I? With them on the other side of this very thin, bulkhead. Bit noisy, were they? She was bad enough, but Crichton, he was louder than she was. He actually sounded like he was exerting himself. What kind of a male is he anyway? Oh, they're between pouts. Give them a few, (sighs) microts,
1: And then we have the next shot. I'm just going to go ahead and describe it. Is pan up of Aaron and John's clothes all over the floor. Them curled up together naked in the sheets. And when they wake up, John's first instinct is to bang on the bulkhead. It makes sex noises to annoy Rigel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. It's great. I love (laughs) Rigel in this. I just, so many things, so much perfectness. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And Stark, you know, Stark is so weird, and I think we really get full-blown Stark weirdness in this episode. Ooh, yeah. It makes for good television, I think, and it gives him and Rigel a lot to play off of each other, and so they spend most of the episode together, and you you can start seeing their dynamic Mm -hmm. as as they go through this. But yeah, just poor Rigel hasn't been able to get any sleep because of all the sexy neighbors next door. (laughs) Right.
0: Well... I think you kind of mentioned it, but Stark's weirdness really starts right here because as soon as Rigel is like they're like having sex and they're making loud noises, Stark then like leans his head against the bulkhead to listen. And I'm so like so creepy. All right, Stark. Cool beans, yo.
1: Yeah, like vicarious <laughs> needs being met or something.
0: Yeah, it's not uh yeah, awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after two and a half seasons of these characters dancing around each other it's really nice to see them in a place where they're both emotionally and physically ready to have sex with each other I think it as an audience your only reaction to this can be like you know squeeing and clapping your hands together (laughs) and being really excited
1: yeah yeah yeah, and it's a really nice note to open on, I think, because it's also like it shows the domesticity of not only John and Aaron together, but as the ship as a whole. The mm-hmm. crew of Talon is basically taking a break while Talon is asleep. They're on a planet. They don't expect to be found, or they hope they're not going to be found. Of course, that changes, and so they're they're kind of on their downtime, right? And so Aaron and John have been having lots of sex. Fragile hasn't been sleeping. Stark has been wandering around, being Stark-like, and Crace has been, you know, paying attention to Talon and his healing process. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice note to open on, and then it doesn't last at all.
0: Yeah, it does not last. Doesn't last at all. The other thing I want to mention, though, is Ben Browder and Claudia Black have like this chemistry that, like, I mean, break out like the Southern fan, you know? Because like, <laughs> oh my goodness, this is really really hot. Because it they're. Is. Like they're both like naked, air quotes. I'm sure they're clothed because they have the they have the sheet up pretty high. Well, yeah,
1: yeah. But, I meant the characters, but yeah, yeah.
0: The <laughs> characters are very, very naked, and they just are like kissing each other open mouth and like just these gentle touches. It feels like all of these touches that as like an audience we've been like clinging to, like the kiss at the end of the look at the princess, you know, all the cuddles that they give each other after really hard episodes, you know, this just kind of feels like okay, you thought that was hot? <laughs> Let me show you hot.
1: Yeah. And I think it also shows how comfortable they are with each other. Like they have been physically intimate before. They have had sex before. They have as we said cuddles they you know they're very comfortable with each other's bodies and it's just it's really nice to see that trust between them play out on screen with each other and it continues throughout throughout the episode especially in the early parts of it when they're all together and then they're split up and it's Mm -hmm. you know but but there's that real connection between the two of them that you can just see sizzling on the screen
0: yeah well, and also I really enjoy that John's whole thing has always been that he wants emotional intimacy. And I think throughout this whole episode, he it really does feel like he's taken a step forward in, he doesn't hold Aaron at that arm's distance anymore. Mm-hmm. Like pretty early on, Rigel is violating her privacy by looking at the chip of her and her mother. And John is the one that immediately steps in and is just very, I won't say territorial, but just very protective mm-hmm. in a way that I think he wouldn't have been if if they weren't also in a relationship officially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he might have been, you know, beforehand because, you know, he's team Aaron and has been in team Aaron. Mm-hmm. But the feeling I got from here was like the way it was played was like that's his partner stuff and he's going to help her out by defending it, you know? Mm -hmm. It very much felt like she was being kind of in this place where she knows her mother is coming, and he's kind of stepping up to take care of the day-to-day while she's dealing with that in her head.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So they are interrupted by Crace, who announces that a ship has landed on the planet, and they are arguing initially about... Is it friend or foe? And Stark has this hilarious thing where he's like, friend or foe, friend or foe, friend or foe. And then Rigel is like, shut up. Of course it's a foe. We have no friends. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Rigel. Yes,
1: Rigel is so great in this episode. So great. So the plan, as it stands, is... Aaron and Krace and John will go out and defend Talon and become a decoy and try to lead the retrieval squad, which is composed of Zalax and two mercenaries, away from Talon because Talon is currently asleep and defenseless and still healing from his wounds. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, Stark and Rigel will stay aboard Talon, make sure he's okay. And that's where we go from the beginning. I'm trying to Mm -hmm. think if I forgot anything, but I think that's it.
0: We get a shot of Zalex and her crew. Mm. And what's interesting is we kind of already got a feeling of who she was in Thanks for Sharing, where at the very end of the episode, we were introduced to her. And, you know, her mercenary is like, oh, I, you know, I failed. Are you you know, I accept my punishment. And she's like, it's fine, whatever, you know, come on. And so we got the feeling that she's definitely cold if he's expecting punishment, even though he succeeded in most of his mission and so this actually opens with three mercenaries and she walk out and one of them is having a really hard time because the gravity is so much stronger and she's like oh is your wound giving you trouble and he's like yes but I can still function and she literally just takes out her gun and shoots him Mm -hmm. and then she turns to the other two and is like okay so bigger portion for you (laughs) don't make the same mistake kind of warning
1: yeah. Well, I feel like at this point, she knows that they're closing in and she doesn't want any dead weight. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard for me to reconcile those two those two moments, but this is definitely like closing in, no dead weight. Let's get rid of any liabilities before they're a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the difference is that the other guy clearly got wounded, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that she was already at the point of thinking, okay, not good in a fight, kind of useless, Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last thing she needs is the last thing she needs, yeah, is dead weight. The last thing she needs is somebody that could muck up the plan at all because mm-hmm. she can't rely on him, you right. know, if he's already down, if he's already wounded and unable to function.
1: Yeah. And I guess it could also serve to focus the other two mercenaries because she also adds in, asks them how many jobs they've done and they're, they're getting closer to their the number that they need to be out of service. So it sounds like a kind of an indentured mercenary thing going on Mm -hmm. so she's like yeah get this done i won't shoot you you'll get to reach your quota of of missions and then you can go back to your offspring and and spouse Mm -hmm. so it serves as a focusing mechanism too
0: yeah yeah that's a good point yeah because she mentions later on to them something about being nine and out Mm -hmm. So it kind of sounds like they have to do nine, and it sounds like it's nine in a row, because she mentions that if they have a failure, then they're back to zero. And so that was actually pretty, that was actually pretty cool world building, because you could see why the Peacekeepers would have like these super powerful trackers, but then... Being peacekeepers of course they're going to do something evil with it so
1: <laughs> right and it's not like they can be regular military peacekeepers because of the xenophobia that they have
0: mm-hmm. the three functioning bipeds of <laughs> grace john and Aaron go outside and they're shooting their guns to try and get Z- zalex and her mercenaries to go towards them because apparently because of the forest they can't really sense talon and i want to point out here that i'm like I have to imagine, okay, my guess is that Talon's biology, Talon's biology must be a lot different from Moya's because we had that whole thing in IET where like Moya was not supposed to be on a planet and the atmosphere was really, (laughs) she was really struggling with it. And yet they're like, Cool, Talon's 100% okay with like this super, super heavy gravity.
1: I think the difference is that he's much, much smaller than Moya still. He's grown a lot, but he's still like a third of her size. And Moya as an adult is not supposed to land on planets, whereas Talon as a younger ship has a little bit more leeway with that. But I take your point because yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, I was just laughing because I was like, as soon as we saw Talon on the planet, I was like, ooh, IET, we're going to have like issues like we did in IET. And it was like, nah, everything's cool, brah. The gravity <laughs> putting him to sleep.
1: Well, the thing I had with the, the world building of the gravity part was I was just like, well, if it's supposed to be heavier gravity, why aren't our characters affected? Like, mm-hmm. is it like just 1G like on Earth? Or is it like two? Or is it like one and a half? Or what's like what's that fucking... Function of, you know, where is it for John, Aaron, and Grace, right? Because they don't mm-hmm. seem affected at all by the heavier gravity.
0: But Talon is, and the other aliens are
1: right. And it's I could take the aliens a little bit more because though if they grew up, they are alien enough that I could see them being accustomed to much lighter gravity than one G, mm-hmm. and that being an issue. So I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. So Stark and Rigel are stuck on Talon to keep Talon calm if he wakes up, <laughs> which I'm like okay sure stark who gets hysterical about everything is gonna and who be...
1: is hysterical right now <laughs> yeah
0: they're leaving him and he's like why do i have to stay i can't do this don't don't leave me here and then rigel whose motto is if you can cut run <laughs> like rigel's like literally like anytime he has any chance to leave anybody behind he's like Okay, let's go. Like, I'm sure if they were literally on a shopping trip and somebody just came back like 10 minutes late, he'd be like, they're not here. They must be dead. Let's leave.
1: (laughs) Well, to be fair to the other three, they don't have a lot of other options. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we have everyone tramping through the fire swamp and there's geysers and there's acid fruit that gets pointed out because foreshadowing. And you have, on the other side, you have uh, Zalex and her two coladas, I think is the name of the race. (laughs) Something like that. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of see them moving toward each other. But because of the density of this forest, the logistics of how everybody is laid out is really difficult to discern from the episode. And then once Mm -hmm. we get into the firefight, which happens, which I can't quite remember how it starts, but...
0: They come... um, Oh, there's a trap
1: laid. The Zalex and the... um, Coladas lay a three pronged trap because they hear they're coming up to the the firing and, and then John, Aaron and Grace walk into their
0: crossfire. Mm -hmm. Basically. Like I said, the cinematography of this episode, not my favorite. It, I found the firefight, especially very confusing. And I understand, Mm -hmm. I understand episodes where it's supposed to be confusing. Like I think band of brothers often used confusing battle scenes really effectively. I didn't find this super effective, especially because they they go through this whole firefight. Some people get hit. Some people don't get hit. Everybody's kind of yelling and it's all panicking. But you aren't sure where anybody is. You aren't even sure why Crace, Aaron, and John get super split up, which apparently happens somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then it ends on, like, this slow-mo shot that I, like, right before the cut to commercial. And I don't know. I I don't want to harp too much on things I don't like, but at the same time, I was like, nah, not their most effective firefight.
1: Yeah, I think for me, if they had cut it shorter, it would have worked better. I think part of the reason it was confusing is just trying to get that feeling of everyone split up because that's where they all end. You have uh, Crace and John at one part, you have Aaron and Zalox fighting each other. And then you have the two, um, uh, Colada trackers on the other side. So there you have three groups again. I think the confusion did help get the, everybody split apart, but I think it went on too long. I think if yeah. they had made it about, I don't know, a minute or two shorter, then that would have worked a lot better because it wouldn't have felt dragged on and mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just a little boring because it wasn't interesting in how it was shot. It was just cut, 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 cut.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a good way of putting it. I think that if it were shorter or if we'd even been able to see two characters in the same shot, because as it was, you could tell that somebody was just like, Okay, you know, they were filming each individual character, and it was like, okay, shoot, shoot, shoot this other thing, roll, you know, crawl, and it was, like, but there was, like, there was no understanding of, like, how any of that was related to any of the other Mm -hmm. characters, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Not their best work.
1: That said, what comes afterwards is some of I think their best work because we have Aaron and Zalax who have a fist fight and Zalex has been shot in the knee and Aaron ends up capturing her. And we actually finally get this this really great scene between the two of them where, where before she Aaron knocks Alex unconscious, she's like, Are you Zalex? Are you Zalax's son? And when she wakes up, when Zalax wakes up, she's like you knew who I was. Why do you care about that? And Aaron says, I'm Aaron. I'm your daughter. And it's this yeah. is really kind of weighty moment between the two of them because Zalax clearly had no idea that the peacekeepers that she was, the rogue peacekeepers that she was hunting that were traveling with Krace was her daughter.
0: Yeah, that was kind of dark. Well, and as much as I, as many issues as I had with the firefight. I loved their fist fight together because mm-hmm. that felt really visceral. Like they're both using like really dirty moves and you could tell that there was like a lot going on in that. Um, and it did feel like Zalix was about to kill Aaron. You yeah.
1: Know? Yeah. And so let's follow Aaron and Zalix for a little while. Aaron gets her tied up and then decides to take her back to Talon because she is split apart from the others. Mm-hmm. And here's the first conversation that they have together. Where are you
3: taking me? Back to the gunship, which I named Talon, by the way.
1: Uh, Yes, I thought you'd
3: find that amusing. Naming it after Daddy. It's not amusing, it's sentimental and weak. Is that why you're sparing me? Because I'm your mummy? No, because with that wound out here, you will die. Alive, your potential leverage. Regulation field-up procedure insists you terminate all hostile personnel on point of contact. Eliminate the threat. And when I'm dead, you can name your prowler after me. Oh, yes, that's very funny. Well, I no longer follow regulation field-up procedures, and I know it's not by chance that you ended up out here on this assignment. I command knew I was out here with Talon and Grace. They probably thought, send a mother, or perhaps you even volunteered for the pleasure. Did you? Thought, you know, things go wrong, we end up face to face, perhaps the daughter will flinch.
1: I'm not flinching. There this is our first like real long needy conversation and I just love it. And there's a couple reasons and I think the first one is Zalax being so uncompromisingly peacekeeper. She's mm-hmm. like, You're weak. You saved my life. It's against field op procedure so you're clearly stupid as well because I'm a threat and you should have just terminated me. Oh, and then also Zalax making fun of her for naming Talon after her father and mocking her about naming her prowler after her, like any kind of sentimentality that goes back to that weakness. And then on the other hand, you have Aaron who wants to keep her alive. She says it's because, you know, she can use her for leverage. And she also says that she's not flinching from facing her mother. And what I find interesting about this is just given who I know Aaron is now, like she has become so much more than she was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It feels like so much justification and posturing on her behalf. Like she is facing off against her mother, who is an enemy and she is not flinching. Yeah. And she was brutal in that fist fight, as you said, but at the same time, there's just this thread of, thread of like i'm making up reasons to keep you alive because mm-hmm. i don't want to kill you
0: yeah well and also the idea of like i'm i'm not flinching it feels almost like her saying it to herself mm-hmm. do you know what i mean of yeah her, because she's not talking to Zalex here Zalex already sees her as weak she's talking to like this theoretical pk high command that she's giving the finger to and but i think she's also just talking to herself and earlier when Zalex woke up, she was like, well, why do you want to know who I am? And Aaron was like, oh, because I'm Aaron. I'm your daughter. And Zalex looks at her and she's like, no, my daughter is a peacekeeper, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of that moment for me, it really kind of it really hurt almost Because it was like Zalex was okay with her own career being trashed as long as she had this idea that Aaron was okay. As long as she had this idea that Aaron was still a peacekeeper, still rising through the ranks, that, you know, she was out there. And so, like, I think that this is kind of a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. Even as much as she's being like, I I don't care about you at all, that she secretly does. So her kind of being like... This, this whole conversation just feels like her being like, no, I don't care about you, but we've already seen her underbelly and we do know that she does care about Aaron.
1: Right, right. Yeah, That I really like that. They're both running into their expectations of each other. Like mm-hmm. Aaron has this one thing, one meeting with her mother that she thought was a dream for a long time. We heard about it first in Family Ties, then it came back again this season when Grace brought brought the data chip that had the recording of the of the meeting between them so we really got it crystallized and she got to relive it and it comes back into her memory and then you have Zalax who as you said thinks she has a peacekeeper daughter and running into her peacekeeper daughter who is now a renegade and is Mm -hmm. not anything like she expected so they're both running into what they thought each other were
0: Mm mm-hmm Yeah. So Zalix gets on board and we've seen her. She's got like a really long thumbnail and she's like working at her wrist. And then at first you're like, oh, she's going to try and cut the ropes with her nail. But no, Zalix soon (laughs) is even more boss than that because apparently she has a knife sewn into her forearm. Because she's a badass peacekeeper retrieval squad leader, of course. No, I mean I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not the coolest thing ever. I'm just saying that she literally has a knife in her forearm and I'm like, alright then.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, so so they come aboard and Dark and Rigel have noticed that these vine things, the restorative vines that are supposedly helping Talon heal, have now invaded Talon, so while the others have been out, they've been kind of hacking at them, trying to get them loose. And so basically convenient rope is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Zalex uses her knife
0: and she kicks Aaron across. The- she al- oh, she also uses a stimulant, right? To yeah, she takes a stimulant and her irises just like blo- like completely. Her entire eye is black, and so the wound that Aaron had used to get the upper hand earlier Aaron initially kind of comes back and she hits Zalex right where she'd gotten shot and there's no effect so she must be on like PCP or something
1: so Zalex has not incapacitated Aaron Stark on the bridge tries to make a run at her and she knocks him out too and then Rigel on his throne sled little Rigel who always cuts and runs as we just said has a knife in his hand from cutting the vines and actually tries to go after her and Mm -hmm. it's so sad because she sticks him with a knife instead and he gets slid up the middle and poor Rigel there's this like you see his face you see his like eyes and there's like the close-up on the knife in his hand and then it falls from his hand and it's so dramatic and it's so like classically I got stabbed cinematography for a puppet Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for certain. Yeah, and actually Rigel's death is kind of the hardest one because Rigel is the one that always cuts and runs. He's the one that you're not supposed to have a lot of sympathy for. But actually, he and Stark are locked in, it looks like they're in some sort of meeting room or something because there's like a giant table in the middle. And he and Stark actually have a moment that I want to play. Oh, you
2: murderous little Give me a dead meat! Dead meat! Dead meat! Oh, you really do have three stomachs. The smallest little heart I've ever seen.
1: Gets me about that is that first of all you have Stark being like yelling and raving at at Zalax and then he's like, You're gonna be dead meat, and then he turns and is like, Rigel, you're dead meat and it's just this transition that is just Mm -hmm. like through the words and and the tone of his voice to like Rigel is seriously hurt here and Mm -hmm. Stark can see inside his body and see his stomachs and his itty bitty little heart which just kind of cracks me up because Rigel is characterized as being heartless. But he has one. It's just really small.
0: Yeah, it's a Grinch-sized heart. <laughs> I really like this interaction. And my question to you is, is Rigel asking Stark to help him because he thinks that Stark has any medical capabilities or is he asking for Stark's Dracula abilities and to help him pass over?
1: Ooh, okay. I think it's, he wants Stark to heal him because rigel is not one who gives up life easily he he's a survivor Mm -hmm. he wants to survive like all the situations that he tries to get himself out of are because he wants to live through to see another day and go home and be Mm -hmm. a hynerian dominar which is essential to him so i think his asking stark right here is i want you to save my life that's my take on it Mm -hmm. knowing rigel
0: Mm -hmm. what do you think yeah i would buy that I don't know because I kind of went back and forth here because I think that Rigel knows he's dying. He literally, he's gutted. Mm -hmm. I mean, Stark can see inside of him because there's literally like a giant hole in his chest cavity now. So I don't know. I kind of went back and forth. I do buy that Rigel is a survivor. So that one makes sense to me. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. Initially, and I think initially you're not really supposed to know because the only way we know that Stark helps people right now is in death. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and I could definitely see it a case being made for the like, Stakira approach simply because Rigel is in so much pain that he wants the pain to end. Mm-hmm. But but I, I, I choose to see Rigel is not giving up yet. You know, he went after Zalax with that knife. By golly, he wants to survive it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so much like Aaron had tied up Zalax in command, Zalax now has tied up. Aaron in command, and Zalix is pretty effectively, much like we saw in Dirka Returns, she's about to cut the neural functions of Talon. She's that's her entire goal is to kill Talon so that then she can manually pilot him to waiting PK techs who might be able to restore his neural functions once he has a command control collar on.
1: Mm-hmm. And Aaron is like devastated by this. She's like, "How can you?" do this to this magnificent creature whom she loves so much I mean remember Aaron is like his stepmother or his aunt or the favored relative you know like Mm -hmm. as close to him as any of the other people in his life which are Crace and Moya really so you know she is watching this this creature that she loves be hurt so badly and it's really really devastating for her
0: much like Durka returns, this whole episode has kind of been a deconstruction of who Aaron thought her mother was. Mm-hmm. After that moment where her mother came to her, she really thought that her mother was a person who had values, was a person of meaning. And so I think she's really, really struggling with this mother who's cold and calculated and relentless. Mm-hmm.
1: And who's following her orders and being the PK, the epitome of a PK you know, doing her duty for high command. Mm-hmm. I want to play that conversation that they have. This isn't strictly all of it, uh, but it's a, it's a large chunk of it. And it's its really, as I, you know, how I said that they're, they're confronting who they thought they were to each mm-hmm. other. This really gets into that.
3: My entire life on every assignment, every transport ship, I scan the soldiers looking for a face I'd only ever seen once.
1: And now finally
3: seeing you, I feel nothing but shame. Officer Sun, do you actually believe I care what you think? Your sentiment disgusts me. I have not wasted a microt of my life thinking about you. You're ashamed of me? You, a traitor, an enemy to everything you were bred for. The peacekeepers made me the enemy that I am. Look at what you are doing. You are butchering this magnificent creature in its sleep. When it wakes, it will be a slave, and there is no guarantee it will survive the procedure. You are pathetic. You are not my daughter. I am. You made me very aware of that the night you came to me when I was a child, and you told me what you'd done, which, may I remind you, was not regulation. I never came to you. You only dreamt it. Oh, well, for many cycles I believed that. But you see, I now have a vid recording which I would be happy to show you if you'd like to see it. Or are you ashamed of your sentiment? Yes, I am, and I paid for it. My superior officers knew I visited you that night. They interrogated me. And I professed my attraction for a certain peacekeeper officer. My father? Yes, Talon. He was older than I was. No longer as effective in battle. But my superiors didn't want to lose me. So they gave me a chance to redeem myself. What did you do to redeem yourself? How did you redeem yourself? By killing your father.
1: Okay, (laughs) there's a lot to unpack from that scene. I think the first thing I want to talk about is Erin looking for her mother's face in every peacekeeper assignment she ever had. Mm -hmm. You know, even though during most of her life, she thought that night was a dream. Like, maybe when she was a young child, it was still real, but she was young enough that it became more dreamlike. And did I really do that? Did that really happen? Did I make that mm-hmm. up? Did I just want to be special? And yet, it was something that she still held with her her entire life. And mm-hmm. up to even family ties, you know, that's that's where it all came out. Like, she's, she's the one who brought that up when it came to naming Talon. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that gets me right where it hurts. Because we saw Erin like she was as a peacekeeper back in the way we weren't. And she was, you know, your model peacekeeper, you know, by the book, boots shined, towing the line. And so that she kind of had this secret for herself. You know, it just really gives her some depth that like, that that part of her life wasn't as cut and dry as it seems. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think it goes back to that reaction that Zalex soon had when she first met Aaron. And she was like, No, my daughter is a peacekeeper. And so I think that as much as Zalex may be saying, I, you know, I don't care. I never looked for you anywhere. There's also that moment of her being like, In her mind, Aaron was safe on some command carrier, surviving. And she never had to know this secret of her mother's. She never had to know that her mother Mm -hmm. killed her father.
1: Yeah. You have Aaron then begging for Talon's life right there, trying to to reach some good part in Zalex so she won't hurt hurt him anymore. And Zalex mm-hmm. just turns and attacks her as being like, No, you're a traitor. Sentimentality is the worst thing. Why are you attached to Talon? And the I think the parallel here is Aaron is attached to Talon in the same way that Zalex was attached to Aaron, you know?
0: Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. I really like that.
1: Yeah. And then you have Zalek saying, you know, it's only going to hurt you if you are attached to other people. And mm-hmm. we know Erin has resisted being attached to people. She resisted being attached to John, and she resisted the Moya's crew. And that has been a long process of her growing to love and trust these people who have become her family. And of course, Talon is like, the epitome of that is somebody that she has to take care of. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of that, you have Zalax who won her redemption because yes, she got caught. It was on video by having to kill Aaron's father. And I yes. kind of think that's where you kind of start to see like all of her, her, she hates sentimentality. She hates any kind of not being by the book, any kind of deviance because she got burned so badly by it.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah. For certain and what I think is interesting, I mean other than the, I hadn't made that parallel between Talon the ship and Talon the and Talon the father, but oh that's really good. But then also you have that moment where Zalex is still clinging to the it was all a dream. Mm-hmm. You dreamed that. Because I think that whatever happened to her after that moment when she got caught, I think it wounded her so deeply that she almost wants to take it away from Aaron also, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, essentially saying, no, you know, I'm that never happened. You're imagining it. I was never that soft,
1: mm-hmm. never that soft, never that important to you, never had that connection to you. Mm-hmm. It's just uh. brutal. The The fact that she had to kill Talon is just it gets me. It's just like, oh, uh, I mean, I'm, <laughs> when I first watched this as a teenager, it was bad. And then now I'm married and I'm like, oh, my God, I could not imagine doing
0: that. Oh, yeah. What that would be like. I don't, I don't know. I keep flashing back to Aaron's relationship in the way we weren't, where there's this moment where it does seem like she's going to have the same sort of relationship with that um, that science officer. Valeric. You know, Valeric, yeah. Because there is that moment where she could have chosen him. Mm-hmm. You know, she could have chosen to make the same decision her mother did and actually get romantically involved. So you kind of see that if she had stayed with the peacekeepers, she likely would have made a very similar choice. And I think subconsciously patterning after her mother, you know, kind mm-hmm. of, I don't know. It's good. This, this scene really hurts, kicks you. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: really does. And with Velaric, I mean, she does turn him in, but that scars her so badly. That betrayal becomes part of who Aaron carries forward and into her relationship with John. Mm-hmm. You know, the triumph of her relationship with John is that she is now attempting to have that kind of love and does have that kind of love that her mother had with her father. And Mm. now she's, she's kind of on that, that pathway to confronting what in a different context, like a completely different context, but kind of on that same path to, do I choose my lover or do I have, you know, the peacekeeper high command, are they going to kill her? You know, that if she's useless to them Mm -hmm. or, or if she can redeem
0: herself by, by killing her lover. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. So the next scene we have is Zalex is doing more stuff and she sticks Aaron in with Rigel and Stark and then she sees the vid and we didn't get it because it's really long and it's kind of involved, but essentially she's watching the vid and as she's watching the vid, Aaron kind of tries to talk her mother back into being in that moment Mm -hmm. and it backfires pretty spectacularly. But Zalex is, like, hugely
1: upset by it, you know? Mm-hmm. You can kind of see those those mental barriers that she's brought up in the post, you know, her post-killing Talon world are being broken down by Aaron saying, remember that? Remember that being coming
0: to me because you love me? As
1: this video is playing out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think you're right about Zalex kind of, trying to shut out Aaron because Aaron represents not only Talon, her ex lover, but Aaron also represents that Zalex at one point cared because I think that the way she's gotten through her life since that moment, you know, the 20 some odd years since that moment has been, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care about anyone. I don't care about anything. I don't care about my daughter, you know? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So she ends up storming out of the room and Aaron and Stark are tied up, and Rigel is over on a bench, not doing so well, and Stark says, yeah, he died for a moment. And mm-hmm. then I was able to stitch him up with this restorative restorative vine. So Rigel is thought dead, but not dead, or thought dead by Zalix, but not actually dead. Rigel! <laughs> oh,
2: I've been dead. Oh, story oh. The they the of vines, they're working.
3: will right, come over here now and untie us. Uh, get over
2: there. I need bed rest for at least the next 50 yards. Oh, oh, oh. Have you seen these so-called stitches? Who did this to me? I did. Oh, great! A one-eyed ding mott with no 3D vision. Oh, oh! How many of my vital organs did you puncture? I saved your life. Saved my life? Look. You sewed this to me. Rigel. The ropes. You sewed my ropes to my chest. Get over here now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. A <laughs> moment of levity after all this emotional trauma. Oh my, oh my gosh. I love Rigel, first of all. Mm-hmm. Who just... you got to feel for the guy. He just got stabbed nearly... Badly enough to pretty much die for a minute. And then he had Stark be his doctor. I'd be pretty upset, too.
0: <laughs> well... And also, Rigel is not exaggerating here. Stark literally sewed Rigel's robes to his skin. And, like, and later on, we find out that the robes are actually sewed inside his chest cavity as well. <laughs> okay. I want to talk for a quick second about the difference between sci-fi and fantasy. Okay? <laughs> because I feel like it's a very thin line. And I feel like often it can go either way, and this is one of those moments when you're kind of like, Farscape science is just iffy enough—not as iffy as like some, you know, sci-fi shows—but Farscape science is just iffy enough that you're like, in moments like this, where they're on a planet with magical vines that apparently that apparently heal leviathans and hynerians, you're like, is it fantasy or is it sci-fi? It's
1: totally fantasy, because you know how many times on our podcast that we've said Farscape Magic, hand wave, hand wave? That's exactly what this is, because they're just like, we need a reason for for Rigel to live, and oh, what look, we had these vines that are medicinal, you know? So whatever, I just roll with it because the rest of it's so good. But yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever.
0: I'm just pointing that out because, like, I love Farscape. I love Farscape. And science tends to be garbage science on most science fiction TV. I'm like, whatever. Garbage science. Let's light it on fire. But, like, this is one of those moments when you're like, okay, Farscape. And you're, like, head patting. And you're like, sure. (laughs) Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, what is that difference between between what's actually garbage science and and Farscape science? And I think, for me, the difference is they don't dwell on it. They're Mm. just like, hey, here's the thing. And yes, plot points hinge on it, but they're they're not going into, like, all this gobbledygook detail about why it's important and why it should work this way, even though in reality we know it doesn't, you know? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because I think, like, the difference between this and like, and, like, Star Trek, for example, is if Star Trek had been like, there are these magical vines that will heal the Enterprise. <laughs> and then also, hey, look, they also hear, heal Riker, who got, you know, gutted. Then... They would also spend, like, literally five minutes pretending that it made sense by, like, inserting a (laughs) bunch of random words (laughs) together in, like, and, like, don't get me wrong. I love both of these shows so much. I love them with my whole heart. I'm just saying that this is one of those moments when you have to appreciate that Farscape is like, whatever, magic vines. (laughs) Very true. Very true. And I also love Stark's
1: reaction because he's like, Rigel, you're awake. That's fantastic. I saved your life. Aren't you going to thank me? And Rigel's like, what the hell did you do to me? (laughs) And then Stark's (laughs) voice is like,
0: I saved you. (laughs) Oh, my God! And later on, when Rigel is cutting Aaron's ropes, he's like holding his guts in, and stark is and um and he's like, "You sewed the robes inside my chest cavity, and Stark is like, "Nobody's grateful anymore." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Meanwhile, Aaron is like, I have one mission, it's to save Talon, Rigel, you better get your filleted ass over here and cut me loose, and has like no time for his moaning and groaning about it, which is just so typically Aaron on the one hand, and also, I don't know, it's just, it's also funny <laughs> in it's a really so terrible way, because she's just so focused on getting those ropes off.
0: So... We're gonna come back to John and Grace right now because they kind of tie into this last moment that we have at the end of the episode. So the Aaron got separated from John and Grace. John comes upon Grace and Grace has been shot and then John is like, okay, whatever I'm gonna leave you but then Grace is like you can't leave me because they'll track me down and kill me and then who's gonna pilot Talon And so John picks him up and then this is when like another moment when I'm like, Ah, don't know. None of this makes even fantasy sense because the acid. And this is such a. Yeah, but okay. This is such a misuse of Chekhov's gun. And I know I keep mentioning Chekhov's gun because Farscape usually does it really well. You know, like the crab in Thanks for Sharing. That's a great Chekhov's gun. And so if you don't know what a Chekhov's gun is, it's that Chekhov had this saying. Where if you introduce a gun in the first chapter, it has to go off in the last chapter. And so Farscape usually does that really well. And this is one of those cases when it does not. I figured they would use the acid, like the acid fruit to like take down the enemies somehow. But no, instead, John cuts one open and pours it over Crace's wound, I guess to cauterize it. But I'm like, that's not how acid works. (laughs) And no, this is garbage. (laughs) <laughs>
1: in contrast to the restorative vines, which are not garbage in the same way. But yeah, yeah. well, they had to use something. The Their weapons, the the rifles, and those, the pulse pistols, they're, they've probably spent their charges in the firefight. And on top of that, they're sometimes not quite working because there's apparently chalk and mist in the atmosphere interfering with the gun. So they don't have a weapon to actually fire on his wound and cauterize the arteries. But yeah, the acid fruit, I kind of side-eyed too. But then you get this wonderful Crace and John Crichton interaction when they're running from the Coladas, who are the two trackers. And Crace is like, they're expert trackers, they're gonna smell us. And then they, they stumble into this pit after being completely lost because they don't have the GPS basically to get them back to Talon. Aaron had that. <laughs> and they solve the. The smell problem by finding basically probably was dung of some sort. It's in a pile. I was just imagining mm-hmm. like little fire fire swamp bats that had just had this pile of of dung there that smells pretty bad. And John is smearing it all over Crace. It's pretty yeah. great.
0: <laughs> it's hilarious. They're both like ew gross. So then Grace passes out, and Harvey shows up because John is in like a really really weak emotional state. So Harvey shows up and because harvey is becoming his security blanket
1: yeah well he says it's because your subconscious called me they're out out of the little cave now and john has these sticks that he's trying to sharpen and that's when he's like harvey shows up and he's like i didn't want you here what are you doing here and harvey's like well you you wanted me here because i live in your subconscious
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i'm here to help john (laughs) right uh, as if Harvey, anyway, as if Scorpius ever tried to help, but so the he, Harvey shows up, and John is like, "Okay, are these trackers as like are these trackers as good as Grace says?" And Harvey's like, "Oh, yeah, that part is true." <laughs> and John is like, "What has Grace said that is not true? Mm-hmm. So then Grace wakes up because John has tied him down, and we find out that John found out from Harvey that the trackers are after. Talon, but they're also after Krace because Krace has too much sensitive information about the peacekeepers for mm-hmm. them to be okay with him just wandering around free.
1: Yeah. And it's this kind of menacing moment where John is like, You've been a bad boy. We've always wondered why you wanted Talon and why you still helped us because we were your allies. You used us, basically. And he's feeling very used and abused that they were used to cover Krace's escape from the peacekeepers and at that point john goes off to hide behind a tree he washes off well he washes off the the stinky stuff of crase and he goes behind a tree and basically he's using crase's bait and the coladas come and he spears them with the the weapons that he made and they fall down and then we have the second conversation between crase and john that i pulled because i think it really speaks to how crase thinks mm-hmm. and why he does the way the things he did, why he allied himself with the Moya crew.
2: I've served my purpose as your lure. Now untie me. You don't get it, do you? Uh, Ain't no way, son. You stuck the knife in one time too many. You're just going to leave me like this. Well, you aren't it. If you're going to execute me, execute me, kill me, but don't leave me here to die. You lied to us. You betrayed us and you used us! I used all my assets to stay alive, and those assets were you! You think of your own survival now. What if Eren is dead? She's not. What if she is? How are you going to command Talon? How are you going to get off this planet without me? And what if Eren isn't back at Talon when you get there? What are you going to do then?
0: So, yeah. Yeah. I think that for me, the john Crace thing is getting a little bit tired. (laughs) I'll be honest. This didn't really have the same resonance as, for example, family ties, you know, when we have that face-off between Crace and John, and it was kind of like, okay... But we knew John has John, and I think that the reason it got tired is that John has been in every episode that we have seen them in together since they got on Talon together. Every single episode since then, he's been talking about how Grace is a cockroach, how Grace uses them, how Grace is no is not trustworthy, how Grace is evil, and I'm kind of like, okay, you know, like because they had exactly the same conversation in Green Eyed Monster. You yeah, know? they
1: did. They did. And I can see from an in the universe perspective that John would still have this grudge. Because the other thing is, when Talon and Krace were hurt and Stark came aboard and John came aboard, I think this was in Thanks for Sharing, he's like, well, can we make sure Krace doesn't survive and we just take Talon back. And Stark's like, I already tried that. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But here, what I like about this quote is we actually get to see Krace, the commander again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He is being hunted by the peacekeepers. He has been since the end of season one went and the beginning of season two, when he took Talon away and how has he maintained his survival? He says he's used the assets at his disposal. And that was, he knew he could have some kind of control over the Moya because he had Talon. And, You see him strategizing his own survival and the way he walks John through what-if situations. What if Aaron is dead? What if she's not there? What if things are not going to plan? Do you have a contingency plan for each of these things? Because you need me for your contingency. I am your contingency plan. Mm -hmm. And I really like that display we got of how he's thinking through different options. What are the tools he needs to survive them? Does he have the tools? If he doesn't have the tools, what are his second options? Like he's not just thinking first level plan, you know, Mm -hmm. and then hoping for the best, which is kind of what the Moya crew does. I mean, then they come up with another plan, but they don't have that second plan in place already. It's not like Nate Ford, who has through M ready to
0: go. Hardison dies in M.
1: (laughs) Hardison dies in plan M. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like he's, he's, Crace does have through plan M, you know, mm-hmm. and he's yeah. the strategic thinker. You see why he was a captain and you could see why a person with that capability could be a threat to the PK high command.
0: You know, you've talked me into liking it. Um- <laughs> Yeah, I I have been talked into liking it because I, I do like th- I do like anything that deepens Crace. Yeah, and I think that our issue with him in season one was that it was just like this cardboard cutout of like let me choose scenery and talk about my brother and you know swing my arms around a lot and get really crazy. And so in season one we never saw the Crace that would have been a commander. Mm-hmm. But then as we've seen him in subsequent episodes, we really are seeing someone who is strategizing his own survival.
1: Yeah. And I completely agree with you that John's animosity towards him and the repeat viewing of that, that is getting tired. And I'm like, John, you've already allied yourself with him. Get over it. Like, I totally get that because it is a repeat. But I do like these moments we get where Crace gets the opportunity to to really show himself.
0: Yeah. Well, because I think that... It's it's really common in TV to kind of have the main character be the only smart one, do you know what I mean? And the mm-hmm. and the villains are either the villains are either like hyper smart to the point to where you're like, "No, nobody could have predicted <laughs> that." Like, "No, that's is silly." Or, you know, kind of not as smart as the main character. And so here it's kind of interesting to have Chris just have a different set of skills than John does. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah, I think that you, I think that it is a good point about, come on, you've already allied yourself with, with him. <laughs> and I think that Aaron's point kind of holds true. Like, okay, he's using you, but you guys have also used him in the past. And mm-hmm. so, I yeah. mean, you guys used him in the Shadow Depository episode. So it's kind of like, all right. Yeah, so... it's kind of going
1: both ways at this point. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Just acknowledge it and move on, John.
0: <laughs> yeah. So now we have... John and Crace, and they run into Aaron, who is pursuing Zalix, because Zalix has left Talon for some reason, I think, to go get her other ship or something like that.
1: Or I think more weapons or something to that effect, because she goes and she has a gun, but she's getting something from her prowler. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, it's just some distance from Aaron. I think there's an emotional distance that she needs, because she goes out after the uh, after the screening of the security vid of, of when Aaron was a child.
0: Mm-hmm. So Aaron captures Alex and Kreis and John come upon them. And let's just play it. I will take you back. Attempt to redeem you as always possible.
3: But your corruption is too advanced. My corruption began the moment I was conceived. No! Austin, Don't you see, my independence comes from you anyway. I grew up wanting to be just like a woman I'd only seen once. You are a traitor! (laughs) I am the part of you that wanted to be a rebel. The part of you that knew deep down inside what was right. Shut up! You've resisted peacekeeper doctrine before. Shut up! Why can't you do it again now? You are an aberration!
1: I am your
0: child! Ouch.
1: Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot going on. The co- the Kaladas have come after John and Krace. Aaron and Zalex are converging, so they're all kind of in this one spot. The one surviving Kalada from the fight where he got stabbed, John and Krace are holding down, and then Aaron and Zalex are struggling over the gun. And mm-hmm. at this point, the, this conversation happens when Zalex is pointing the gun at Aaron, and Aaron is trying to talk her way out of it. And it's just brutal because she's just like speaking truth, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, and Zalex is just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like she, she doesn't want to hear it. And I also think it's interesting that it's a situation where Aaron is taking a page out of John's book mm-hmm. and trying to talk her way out of a gun being pointed at her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is a super John thing to do. They're both still confronting the image they had of each other, where Aaron is saying, like, you could be better. This is her, you could be more moment for, Mm -hmm. with her mother and her mother is struggling with the fact that she rejected that 20 some odd years ago and she just doesn't have it in her anymore to go back to that, you know? Yeah. And so it's, and I think that that's why she's getting so angry is because her daughter is confronting her with the fact that she could, Mm -hmm. you know, that it doesn't have to be this way. This isn't a foregone conclusion yeah so yeah, pretty painful for everybody involved,
1: yeah, and that last two lines, like you are an aberration and I am your child, mm-hmm. it's like I reject you, and at the same time, she's saying, I came from you, mm-hmm. you know, you created me, you created all of who I am because I only had the courage to leave the peacekeepers because of this kernel of something you gave me when mm-hmm. I was a child, and that's it's
0: uh, it's heavy stuff, you know, it's really heavy. And also, I think it's interesting the way that Aaron says that, because Aaron says it like she's surprised, you mm-hmm. know, I am your child kind of being like, I can't be an aberration because if I'm an aberration, then you're an aberration. Like, I am, you know, like, I don't know, there's, there's her still reaching for that connection, even as her mother keeps like slapping her metaphorical hand away. Yeah, you know.
1: yeah. So in the end, John comes over and gets the gun away from Zalex, knocks her over, and he's holding on to on the ground. Aaron goes for the gun, and she has her finger on the trigger. And John says, no, you can't kill her. Don't kill her. Aaron says, I have to. Mm-hmm. And Zalex is the one who agrees with her and says, I'm going to come after you until you are dead. So yeah, killing you is my only option, and Krace agrees.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's- well, and what's interesting is both Kreis and Zalix keep quoting PK doctrine, mm-hmm. you know, the peacekeeper, you know, the the peacekeeper strategy is you kill the, you know, you kill the enemy, you kill the enemy. And both Kreis and Zalix are kind of trying to argue this with Aaron at a time when Aaron is in the middle of completely rejecting everything PK because of how her mother is coming at her, you know? Yeah,
1: well, it's not even Aaron really arguing against them either she's like i know this is a truth that has to happen and john is the one who's like no you aaron should not be the one to pull the trigger Mm -hmm. and this is what i love about john in this scene because he is protecting aaron like he finally comes around that yeah this is going to have to happen but he is not going to let aaron kill her her own mother because Mm -hmm. he knows that will wreck her even if she doesn't fully know that yet I think she does, because she does let him win that argument. Mm -hmm. But there's still part of her that was holding that trigger, you know, that peacekeeper-born soldier who has a tough decision in front of her. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just love John for protecting Aaron from that.
0: Yeah. Well, because I think this is Aaron reassuring herself that what she said earlier, I won't blink or I I won't flinch. Mm -hmm. You know, this is Aaron... Really going back to that and saying, I'm not flinching. I'm going to do this. So, then another slow mo, which I'm not a huge fan of slow mo. I think it should be used sparingly. It's used very frequently in this episode. John leads Aaron through the bushes and she has flashbacks to that moment on, that we saw on the chip because they've agreed that Crace is going to kill Zalix. Mm-hmm. So, Crace now has the gun. John and Aaron have turned around they are walking back towards Talon. And they, she goes like, no, 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 this is wrong. And she's going to go save her mother. And then they hear the shots. Yeah.
1: And then Aaron's face just crumples. And you just feel her pain with her as she is crying. And John is holding her, helping her stand. Like, she can't support herself. She is so devastated by it. Mm-hmm. And that's the scene where it's just like, I'm so grateful that that john was there to keep her away so she didn't see it you know that she didn't have to see her own mother get murdered or Mm -hmm. executed rather you know it's just it just hurts it just hurts so
0: much yeah and you know they're just knocking it out of the park with the emotions here like Mm -hmm. it feels really good my only thing is and i don't know that this is a spoiler but like as a viewer you're like Nope, not dead until I see the body. (laughs) Isn't that a
1: Farscape rule? No one's dead until you see their head on a pike?
0: Yeah, so I'm kind of like, okay. But I don't really remember season three, so I'm kind of looking forward. But I I did almost (laughs) look up spoilers. I almost looked up spoilers, and then I was like, no, 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 I can't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will let your lack of memory be your guide. I won't say anything one way or the other. So we head back to Talon. And Stark and Rigel have a little bit of a moment where Stark is actually now rectifying the sewed robes problem and <laughs> ripping his, his, taking his stitches out now that, that Rigel is healed. And Stark has a little moment where he's like, I I crossed, I was over with you when you crossed over for a minute and I saw Xan on the other side. And mm-hmm. there's this little picture of Stark and his grief and he's, you know, he's not as distraught. He's starting to heal from Xan's death and he says Xan is now their guardian spirit, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can see Rigel kind of appreciating that as well, too. You know, he was a friend of Zan and kind Mm -hmm. of knowing that she's on the other side.
0: You know, what's interesting is the more I think about it, as much as Virginia Hay leaving the show really hurt the first time around, I think on this second viewing, it has allowed for just more interesting character notes, because I'm trying to think if Zan had been stuck on the ship with Rigel, I just, number one, it wouldn't have been as funny. Like, this Mm is hilarious. (laughs) And also, just, I think it would have felt different, because Zan is a competent medical person, and she never would have, attacked. you know, she wouldn't have been as fierce as Stark was in attacking Zalix, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so... Then we head toward Command where Aaron apparently has been piloting the ship for a really, really long time because Zalix did succeed in cutting a lot of Talon's neural connections. And Crace is apparently, he's like lying on the floor, looks like almost unconscious because he is moving most of his psyche into Talon so that Talon can function again.
1: <laughs> I think its he's splitting neural connections. And so the way I read it is he's... Using stem cells, or or maybe not stem cells, but like sharing his brain cells with Talon that are then going to rebuild Talon's neural network.
0: Uh, I don't know, because it's <laughs> like because. Because John is the one that points out, he's like, "So, is Grace, are we okay with Crace moving most of his psyche into Talon?" And well, granted, John has this whole thing with not trusting Crace, and I'm kind of like, "Okay, John, whatever."
1: If they're established neurons and established memories, I can see a reading for that. But it's so like hand wavy Farscape, Farscape magic that how much of it is really his psyche how much of it is just neural connections is he just mapping onto what Crace's brain is already doing it's mm-hmm. so fuzzy that you could probably read that in a half a dozen different ways
0: yeah well because then my other question was if Talon's neural connections actually have been cut is he coming back as the same Talon as mm-hmm. before or is he like a new mind but I guess you're right maybe we should just ignore it and move on <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and then the episode closes with Aaron and John having this really domestic relationshipy partner moment. They're kind of hunched over, very quiet cuz cuz Chris is in the room doing his thing. And Aaron's tired and she's like you don't have to wait up for me. He's like go to bed. John's like I'll stay up with you. I I you know, I'm I'm good with that. And then Aaron's last little bit is I the final tie I have to the Peacekeepers is gone with my mother's death. That was the last thing I had tying me mm-hmm. to them. And you can see her face that she's just on the verge of tears. Like she doesn't cry, but she's close to it. And then they do this forehead touchy thing and it's really sweet. And, mm-hmm. and you can really see them, see John supporting her as a partner. And it's, it's really nice.
0: Yeah, I like the way they rub faces, you know, mm-hmm. really works for me. All right, so that's the episode. Yeah. That's a good episode. What'd you, what would you what would you give it? Um gosh. I I liked it. I liked all the emotion and stuff and I liked all the dialogue and I thought that was all really good. Again, I just didn't care for like there was like a lot of stuff that happened cinematography-wise and direction-wise that I was like, "Nah, this is fugly. you know so like i would give it probably like a Mm 3.5 just because i feel like i was so distracted by like a lot of the cinematography that i was like i didn't care for it
1: yeah i'd give it a four because it didn't bother me as much but yeah very strong emotional episode from that perspective on wardrobe watch i think everybody is wearing pretty much what they always wear they have been Mm -hmm. wearing peacekeeper vests and outfits for john and aaron for 90 percent of the episode yeah (laughs) Um, Rigel is only wearing his robes on the inside For a short while <laughs> So so fairly standard on wardrobe
0: So next week we have Incubator So join us for that If you have any thoughts about the episode You can reach us We are Farscape Friday Podcast At gmail, tumblr, and dreamwith And we are Farscape Friday on Twitter And we will see you next time Bye, Bye.